Welcome back. It is another important day to focus on your health or maybe some ways to help a loved one with their health. Over the next half hour here on a Healthline 3, we'll be talking with Dr. Jason Kinkarts from the Orthopedic Clinic with Willis-Knighton Health System. And we want to hear from you over the next 30 minutes. If you have any questions throughout the show to give us a call, we'll show you that number in just a minute, but a quick reminder too. So make sure you make your room quiet so we can hear you turn down that TV to a low volume and get those questions ready to roll right now. 318-219-4569. Get them completely answered free of charge. So Dr. Kinkarts, thank you so much for being here with us today. Excited to talk about today's topic. Thank you for having me, Nate. I appreciate it. Yeah, it certainly is our pleasure. Now today we're talking about sports medicine. Medicine. Uh, you're an orthopedic surgeon. You know better than most exactly the wear and tear that we can experience. But I think it's important to know too. You and I were just talking before the show. We're not we're not addressing just the athletes or the former athletes. Correct. This topic over the next half hour is pretty much for anybody who reaches an age where we get those pains. Mm -hmm. Correct. So it, it is a bit of a misnomer. Sports medicine. You know, as sports physicians, it, it's not. Uh, you know, not that we're treating just athletes. I mean, it's. Uh, it's the non-athletes, it's, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, children to the elderly. And so activity-related injuries and issues and pain um, affect all age ranges, uh, all genders. You know, every person at some point is going to experience this type of issue. And so if there's, a, you know, um, an activity-related problem, so it's knee pain or it's shoulder pain, you know, foot and ankle, you know, these are the things that we get involved in in order to help people regain a pain-free uh, way of life and to return to their previous activity level. That's our goal. Absolutely. I was just going to say, nobody likes to live with pain. Uh, a lot of people right. live a long time with it, unfortunately, but that's what we're here for. We're going to get you some answers over some ways to treat that as well. So first things first, Dr. Kinkarts, let's address what a sports medicine surgeon like yourself actually does. And I'm sure it's big goal is getting people back on their feet, sometimes Correct. literally. Correct. So we have non-operative and operative approaches to getting people to be pain-free and back to their active lifestyle. And for some, activity might involve climbing the stairs, getting from the bathroom to the kitchen to the bedroom. Uh, for others, it's a high level of uh, activity, professional athletes, and, and uh, you know, a high level of, of competition and sport. And so that's that, that big range that we're, you know, we're involved in. So. Yeah. Um, but our, our goal is, though, to get folks uh, comfortable, pain-free, and uh, so surgery is, is an option in certain cases, but that's typically when we fail non-operative approaches, yeah. and non-operative can involve, uh, you know, ice, elevation, compression in the early stages of an injury. It can involve um, medications, injections. Sometimes we need to get imaging in order to better determine the extent of the injury, uh, and so, but the non-operative is where we like to focus initially and if we're not making success with that type of approach, then we can move on to something more aggressive surgically if needed. Yeah. Some things don't have a great surgical solution, but as we've advanced in our skill set and just the advances in, in the implants and such that we use in sports medicine, we've become very good at treating many things. Wow, very fascinating and great to hear that you have so many treatment options. And we're going to be diving into those uh, throughout the next couple of minutes, but we already have our first caller. I really love when we get our viewers involved in this and get your questions answered. We have Gary already on the line. Good morning. Gary, what's your question for Dr. Kinkarts? Good morning. Is there an effective treatment for neuropathy now? Neuropathy. So, uh, you know, for those who don't know, neuropathy is nerve-related pain that can be related to many different factors. Uh, the most common typically is 
nerve pain related to a diagnosis that we may not completely understand, but you know, with diabetes and, uh, and other types of conditions, nerves can become painful. So effective treatments uh, fall more under the scope of, for example, nerve doctors or pain specialists, but you know, um, what, what I see in, in my practice, there are some things that can be helpful. Uh, and that can involve medications as a, as a first line of treatment um, when uh, you know, we're not able to uh, you know, see other types of treatments that would allow that, uh, for example, time. Sometimes just using time will allow things to improve. Uh, but, but there are medications, and, and so those can be pills or even topical medications that can be helpful. There are certain injections that may be helpful in certain cases. Those are more often done by the pain management specialists. Uh, but uh, it is a tough thing because typically that's, that's a long-term type of treatment, not something that we can often cure, but we can improve the symptoms with some of the, um, the medications that we are using in this day and age. But it is a tough, it is a tough thing to manage and to treat, um, and sometimes getting involved with the pain doctor or the neurologist may be you know, a good option. All right. Great first call, Gary. We appreciate it, pal. Thank Thanks you, a lot Gary. for calling in. Thank and you. just a quick reminder, too, to our viewers, 218-4569. Give us a call right now if you have a question for Dr. Kinkart. So let's talk about what areas are maybe some of the injuries that you see that are more common than others and how you're able to treat some of these patients. I know rotator cuffs, another big one, knee yes. problems. So what are some of the things you see, Dr. Kinkart? Yeah, so from the shoulder standpoint, we see, uh, you know, um, Tendon injury, so that can be, uh, so for example, when we're looking at... Yes, busting the, out the muscles. Um, so the rotator cuff is a sleeve of tendon that connects to the edge of the ball. So here's the humerus, the arm bone, here's the scapula, and so you've got the clavicle in the front here as well. This is the front view of the shoulder. The rotator cuff is a sleeve of tendon that connects to the edge of the arm bone, the humerus bone. There's a small area where the biceps tendon comes right in between the front and top rotator cuff, and it actually connects. The long head of the biceps here connects to the top of the socket. Mm. But that rotator cuff uh, is prone to injury. The blood flow is not always ideal, and with chronic usage, wear and tear, sometimes we get a hole in that top of that rotator cuff. Other areas can become involved as well, including the front of the rotator cuff tendon. And so the problem with these tears is that they're painful, they can limit function, and they also don't often heal on their own. In fact, most of the time they don't heal on their own, except in rare cases. Wow. So rotator cuff we see a lot of, and that can be in especially non-athletes, folks that may have um, just kind of general wear and tear. They might have had a history of you know playing ball, softball, uh, baseball, or it could be that they just you know don't have a real uh, you know a real under underlying reason, but that just from chronic wear and tear we've um, ultimately ended up having a tear in that rotator cuff. Hmm. So rotator cuff is a common thing. Um, other tendons like that biceps tendon can also, it's a little harder to see, but it, tops, it, it attaches right at the top of the socket. That tendon can also have issues and the blood flow in that case is also suboptimal. So we often see biceps injuries. They may go along with the rotator cuff injuries as well. Um, you know, shoulder dislocations and shoulder instability. So when the shoulder joint pops out and then we have somebody pop it back in, typically in the ER, yeah. that can involve the gasket around the cup. That's called the labrum. So we see a lot of those things as well. So labral injuries, tendon injuries like the rotator cuff, like the biceps. So those things are very common. We see a high volume of that in clinic. Um, sometimes it's just, we call it impingement, where you know, we've got some inflammation on top of the shoulder, and it may um, just be kind of, you know, maybe a frictional type of situation. It may be contributed to by the anatomy in certain cases. So those are all things that we see that are very common in the clinic. Um, probably the most common would be that rotator cuff, and it really is 
fairly uh, widespread that we do see that. And again, many ages, but typically, you know, when we're getting into our 30s and 40s and older is where we'd see most of that. Okay. Now, you brought up an interesting point there. Um, I'd kind of like to know this. We see on Hollywood movies, on TV all the time, someone's shoulder pops out of place and they'll slam it against a wall or something dramatic. Is that the best course of action? I mean, or is that just TV? Should we seek medical attention or is that something when it comes to a dislocation, it sounds almost pretty serious. Yeah, dislocations can be serious and they can also be associated with fractures. Oh. So ideally, we'd like to have an x-ray or some kind of imaging so that we can ensure that we know what the diagnosis is. It may feel dislocated, but sometimes other things can present like a dislocation. So we don't want to mismanage that and start to um, you know, try to manipulate a shoulder without really knowing the underlying diagnosis. So ideally, we'd like to know what the imaging would show, which would even just be a simple you know, series of x-rays yeah. so that we can know what actually is the diagnosis. Is there a dislocation? Is there a fracture plus a dislocation? Or is there just a fracture that we need to be worrying about? If we go to try to manipulate a shoulder that's dislocated, there's a chance we could shift the fracture. Um, so if it's not dislocated but fractured and we're trying to you know, manipulate, that can be maybe a cause for concern that we might actually displace the fracture and lead to an issue that may then become more of a surgical issue rather than maybe treating it non-operatively if we just left it alone to begin with and had the proper diagnosis. Okay, let's talk about the way you're able to uh, identify identify the specific problems with something like a shoulder. How do you tell the difference between what may be just arthritis versus something that could be a more serious issue with like a torn rotator cuff or something like that? Right. Yeah, excellent question, Nate. So it comes down to getting a great history from the patient because oftentimes they can tell you what's going on. So we have to listen to the patient to understand what's the history behind this problem. How long has it been going on? What have they done to try to treat it? Have they had prior treatment, maybe even prior surgery? So we want to know what's gone into this problem and uh, get a good careful history. Uh, and, and so beyond that, we need to get a careful physical exam as well. We need to know what the range of motion is, what the strength is telling us, um, where the sites of pain are. Once we have a careful clinical exam, then that can help us to piece together things much more carefully and accurately. It is combined with things like uh, so x-rays or other imaging. I usually start with just regular x-rays because we can obtain a tremendous amount of information from those. Mm. And then it can help us to decide, do we need to get additional imaging, which can be involving sometimes a CAT scan or even an MRI. So uh, those are important things to know, and then yeah. we can use that information in order to then formulate the best treatment plan. But it's really a comprehensive look at everything going on, getting a, a good exam and having good imaging, and then we can use that to, to formulate our, our, um, the, the understanding of the diagnosis and then our treatment thereafter. Okay, very neat. I love the fact that so many options available for patients doesn't always just fall back on surgery. Correct. All right, we'll talk about those circumstances that may lead to that in a minute, but we do have our next caller on the line. Derek, what's your question for Dr. Kinkartz? Yes, I was wanted to ask him. Um, I have two hernias, and I have uh, like a, a another hernia up above my belly button. So I really have three and all. That's what my, my doctor was telling me. But I, what I was asking is, where is the best place I can go get something done about it? Because right now I don't have no insurance. Uh, I don't have no job. So the best the question but, is, uh, I mean. So my question is about my hernia. I okay. got three hernias. Gotcha. Okay. So the question is regarding, so it sounds like abdominal hernias. And now I'm not an expert on those. There are different types. They can be from, from prior surgeries. They can be um, from just, you know, um, can just, they can happen just because. They can be from traumatic events. Uh, you know, the general surgery field uh, is, the, is the place where they um, are best equipped and, and trained in order to treat abdominal types of hernias. 
Um, and so, you know, there are surgical options for those, I know. I don't know if non-operative treatment on those is a mainstay or an option. I think it probably depends on the severity of those. Uh, but the general surgeons and more of the, um, uh, you know, uh, abdominal uh, focus uh, clinics that would focus more on the abdominal and the GI tract would probably be the places that would, would allow you to, to get a good understanding of that. Um, from the orthopedic standpoint, we really do focus more on bones, joints, and ligaments. Um, so it's more the musculoskeletal system. Um, so I'm not as experienced in that. So, uh, you know, there are some general surgeons at Willis Knight, and I know that do treat those. Um, and we can certainly, um, if we get your information, I can certainly get you in contact with them um, and get you that information so that they may be able to get involved and help you. Um, it's a little bit outside the scope of orthopedics, but uh, I, I'm sure that I can look into it and get you a good answer for that, actually. All right, Derek. Uh, I have another one. Uh, you were saying about my uh, bone stretches. I have arthritis in, in both of my hands. I lose uh, feeling in my hands at a certain temperature. Like uh, my body temperature gets under um, 15 degrees. Okay. My hands go numb. Okay. Okay, so you've got arthritis in the hands and pain and also numbness. And so numbness comes from nerves, and there are places that can, be, uh, can cause compression of the nerves in the elbow and hand area, and even in certain other areas. Sometimes that numbness can come higher up, though, because the nerves, essentially, they originate in the spine, in the neck. So for upper extremity, we, we think about the neck as causing um, nerve issues in certain cases. It does come down to having a proper physical exam and a good history as well. So numbness, we think of nerves. And there is an orthopedic role for treating nerve issues, including nerve compression, like carpal tunnel, and this place in the elbow is the cubital tunnel. Um, so those are areas that can cause numbness. Now, hand arthritis can cause pain, swelling, last, lack of motion, and there are things that we can do for that. Uh, and it, it depends on you know, the extent of the, the arthritis, the, the extent of the, the um, you know, the intensity of the pain, um, but there are things, for example, topical medications, injections, sometimes even occupational therapy, hand therapy can help us to regain function and motion as well. Uh, again, getting good imaging certainly can help to, to identify the problem and let us hone in on the areas that are most symptomatic uh, and causing the majority of the, the issue and injury uh, and the majority of the pain. And so, uh, you know, getting that looked at certainly wouldn't be a, a bad idea uh, so that we are able to maximize your, the level of improvement and determine if something um, in, invasive or uh, interventional, sometimes as, as easy as an injection, but sometimes surgery can be in, involved in order to treat arthritis of the hands and even into the wrist joint. All right, some great questions okay. there, Derek. We appreciate you calling in, pal. We definitely do. Hopefully, uh, Dr. Kinkart's addressed those issues there. Thanks again. 318-219-4569 is the number to call if you're watching at home and have a question for the doctor and anything related to some issues with your shoulder, your knee, any part of your body, maybe from an old sports injury. Uh, Dr. Kinkarts, I'd like to ask you this. When it comes to that fine line between living with pain versus getting things fixed, when is the time would you recommend for a patient to just to, to say now is the time I need to see a professional versus living with any type of pain like that? That's a great question, Nate. I think if we're limited in what we can do, if we are on the couch, we're gaining weight, we're becoming less healthy, then clearly we need to do something about that in order to try to improve your situation so that we can be, regain activity and resume a healthy lifestyle. You know, there's a lot to be said for folks that are able to get out and even just do a walk or, you know, to get some level of activity, you know, on a frequent basis. And we would like to get something, uh, get you moving, you know, on a daily basis if possible. But if that pain is limiting you and you're, you're not able to, you know, do the normal things that you need to do uh, and stay active, then I, I think it's inappropriate to have that looked at. When it comes to acute injuries, 
we, often folks will start with the ice elevation compression. Certain patients may be eligible to use the over-the-counter things like Advil or Aleve, so ibuprofen, um, naproxen. Um, compression sometimes using an ace wrap or a knee sleeve. And so what we want to do is, it's okay to give it some time if it's, if it's something that seems, um, you know, the, the pain is tolerable, if there's nothing that's unusual, if there's no wounds, um, if we think there's a dislocation, or if, we've got a, if we think there's a fracture, or we've got uh, a large wound, then we don't want to wait on those. We want to get those treated right away. If there's something that's been kind of a, a dull, nagging pain, um, you know, I, I think there comes a point where it limits our ability to, to resume and to maintain a normal level of activity, a normal lifestyle. That's the point where I think it's important to get, get it looked at to decide there may be something simple that can be done in order to allow a pain-free existence to get you back to the, the activity level that you're trying to achieve. Um, and so, you know, the acute injuries, I'd say within a week or two, if things aren't getting better, mm -hmm. we probably should have uh, a professional look at that, whether it's, you know, your general orthopedist, your sports orthopedist, have them look at that to determine what we can do in order to get you back to a comfortable level of activity and to determine maybe there is a fracture that wasn't identified that, you, you know, we, we might have just, um, you know, uh, thought was just a sprain. I mean, we do see those in clinic not infrequently. So we want to make sure that we're not missing a fracture. We're not missing something dangerous. If for the tendonitis, for the arthritis, those aren't, you know, those aren't you know, emergency issues, but at the same time, it can become a more serious issue if it's limiting what we can do. And if we're starting to gain weight, if we're starting to have the risk for things like that that come along with that weight gain, like diabetes, um, you know, even heart disease, and things that can really set us in the wrong direction, sure. then I think it's important to get those looked at. Yeah, absolutely, because it can set off a downward spiral of several other health issues that we certainly don't want as well. Correct. Can you tell us, break down the difference between, um, I guess, the tendons versus uh, some of the other ligaments and things like that in our shoulders, and um, kind of throwing it back, I took sports medicine way back in the day, and sure, I remember okay. something that said that, uh, this may be, that's why I'm asking you, when it comes to the ligaments, when you injure those, do they get stretched and they don't go back, or how does that work? The elasticity in some of our joints, too. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So, ligaments connect bone to bone. So there are things that we call tendons that are actually ligaments. For example, the patellar tendon it connects bone to bone. So technically, that's a ligament. Okay. It's connected in the entire extensor of the lower extremity, and so from that standpoint. Uh, you know, we, we kind of group it with the extensor, which is more of a tendinous and muscular and tendinous type of structure. So ligaments, though, um, connect bone to bone, and they keep structures stable. There's, mm. there's, you know, countless ligaments. Each joint's got a unique orientation of ligaments that do a specific job to make the joint stay stable and to, to let it work the way it does to allow us to function, to move the joint. Joints, joints allow mobility to certain levels. But if you injure a ligament, there can be different degrees of tearing and stretching. So the lowest grade would be like your grade one sprain, where you've got stretching, but fibers are in continuity, and they're not technically disrupted. Mm -hmm. uh, with the, um, so with a grade two type of injury, we've got some injury to the ligament, but the stability has not been compromised. So there's still intact structure, and it will allow the ligament to perform some of its role. When we've got a complete disruption of the ligament, then that is where it's, it can be the most serious. Mm -hmm. And many ligaments won't heal on their own. There are some that can. It depends on the exact structure. So for example, the inner knee has a ligament that has a good healing potential. So even with a full disruption, it can heal. But we have to manage it properly so that it gets to the point of healing. So we don't want to continue playing sports. We want to immobilize, rest, ice, elevate, and try to let that ligament heal. Okay. But there are other ligaments, for example, the anterior cruciate ligament in the knee. So that one does not heal on its own. So once that's torn, we have some level of instability. 
typically it's a full thickness disruption of the ligament. So if the ligament is one continuous sheet, if we disconnect that, at that point, that won't re it won't reform its, its um, integrity. It, it'll be you know, an unstable knee, typically. Wow. And so there are different, different grades or stages of ligament injury. And some of them can improve, others can't. And that's where it's great to know uh, and to kind of get in touch with your doctor to decide, okay, can this one be immobilized, protected, and can we try to kind of almost ignore it? Or do we need to do something to try to regain the stability of the ligament? Wow, so it all yeah. depends which one's impacted, where on the knees. Uh, that is so fascinating. Correct. yeah. Okay, so now that we've identified how you find the problem, let's talk about ways to correct them. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know, you look back, any sports fan, you know, watching at home will remember back in the day, the 70s, 80s, if a professional football player blew out their knee, tore out their MCL, or a baseball player with the rotator cuff, that often meant that their professional career was over at that mm -hmm. point. Um, that's not necessarily the case. We hear professional athletes now tear an MCL. They're back on the field sometimes later in the year, maybe mm -hmm. the next year. So talk about some of the ways that someone like yourself, an orth orthopedic surgeon, is able to get them back on the field. This is impressive. Yeah. So we've had tremendous advances we were really i think you know on a constant basis really evolving with our with our skill set our techniques less invasive using new implants and so the implants come from manufacturers that allow us to do what we do and sometimes it involves plastic or metal screws and anchors that allow us to reconnect the structures that are damaged um, so there, there is a huge range of what we can use now in order to um, repair structures that are torn. Uh, and again, through smaller incisions typically. So we're not trying to make things more invasive. We're trying to make smaller incisions, less recovery time, quicker recovery, less risk for complications, um, you know, infection, incision breakdown, joint stiffness. Those things can happen. But as we become much better at what we do, uh, through you know, decades of evolution with, for example, arthroscopy, which is minimally invasive surgery, using a small uh, camera that has, um, you know, the camera part is roughly the size of a pencil. We can put that in a joint, and, and so we're able to look at shoulders, knees, we can look at hips and ankles. There's really, we've really expanded the, um, the uses and the utility of arthroscopy. And so we're, we can see inside without doing a big invasive type of surgery um, through the front of the shoulder. We used to do a larger incision. Now, certain things, many things we can do minimally invasive and we're able to then um, get a great look inside, much better detail than what we would if we were to do a big open incision. And so we can fix things through making extra incisions, inserting other devices that are meant to fix the problem without making a big incision. And again, we've got, you know, there's different types of plastics that have come a long way that we use, um, high tensile sutures that we can use that are really sturdy to, to get a great repair and even allow a quicker return to activity in motion where in certain cases we're not even immobilizing certain types of repairs that we do arth um, arthroscopically and orthopedically so that we're minimizing some of the risks for example joint stiffness muscle um, shrinkage and what we call atrophy so we can try to get them back on the field or just back walking back in the community quicker so that they are able to get through those things um, more safely, quickly, and back to uh, you know higher activity level um, soon. Absolutely, it all comes back to getting on the field. I'm sure some of the younger athletes, well, athletes of all ages, they just want to be back in the sport, and that's Correct. that's awesome to hear that that technology is at that level to be able to do that. So Absolutely. aside from. Uh, uh, possibly having a surgery, what, what are some of the non-invasive, uh, non non-operational ways that you can go about treating patients? Oftentimes, when there's something injured, we want to protect it. And oftentimes, protection can involve some type of immobilization. So that can be a brace, it can be a cast, um, uh, sometimes it's a sling, you know, but there are different ways that we can try to reduce activity and allow 
um, the structure to have time to recover. So for shoulder dislocation, we'll use certain types of slings. Um, so that's a, a great way to try to let, uh, give the shoulder a chance to heal uh, and allow uh, the, the shoulder to become stable and hopefully minimize that need for something surgical. Um, but immobilization, we want to reduce swelling and inflammation because more swelling, more inflammation means that we reduce motion, we increase the pain when we've got more inflammation, uh, and it can also slow down the recovery and the progression to getting back to our activity level, whatever level that is that we're trying to get a patient to. So we want to protect it initially, typically. Yeah. Um, we want to try to reduce pain, swelling, and inflammation. Sometimes it's ice. Sometimes it's topical medication, sometimes it's pills, like the ibuprofen. Sometimes we use a, a short period of narcotic in order to get the pain under control, typically with fractures or more um, significant pain from acute injuries from a dislocation. Um, so we would use something to control pain, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully that gets them through, gets them healed, and we have a stable joint or a healed fracture, um, and, and we get back to our um, previous level of activity. And there are certain times where that may not be the case, but that's our goal. Initially, non-operative, we want to get folks back to their, their previous level of activity and really focusing on the non-operative treatments um, so that we can not pursue the riskiest treatment early on because there's risk yeah. with surgery. There's risk with everything we do, sure. including non-operative. Okay, very great. Thanks for answering that question. Absolutely. We do have our next caller on the line, Art. Good morning. Good morning. I think we might be, might be losing your phone call there, Arts. Having some trouble hearing you, buddy. If you can hear me. Yes. Go ahead, Art. You talk much of the, the shoulders and the elbows and the knees. Uh, is there a particular reason you stay away from the hip? I, I have problems with my hip. I, I think I need a replacement, but. Uh, I'm skeptical, you know, it used to not be a easy surgery. Yeah, so uh, hips are uh, a part of the, um, the scope of practice of, uh, of orthopedists, of sports medicine surgeons. Um, and so, you know, each surgeon may have um, their comfort with certain things that they do or don't do. Uh, it's not as common. It's not as, as common an ailment or an injury that we would see in orthopedics, but certainly there there are hip injuries that are that, that we do see in sports uh, sports medicine and, and from in sports and other activities, um, and they can be treated arthroscopically in certain cases, which is minimally invasive surgery. Um, sometimes we're talking about treating those with open surgery, uh, but again, those aren't the first line of treatment. We just, we still do want to try to get the proper the history and the physical have proper initial imaging, and so that we can try to figure out what the problem is. Sometimes it involves um, physical therapy. Sometimes there are things that we can do to inject the hip as well. But sometimes there is a role for arthroscopy, for example, hip labral tears. Sometimes there are um, irregularities in the sphericity of the, um, of the femoral head. So the ball may not be perfectly circular, so we can reshape that head. There are things that can be done. Um, it's not as common um, that we're doing those in sports medicine because it's just not as common an issue. But we do treat those, uh, and so there are there are physicians and surgeons that do more of that than others, and it, it does depend. The bigger academic centers often have more of um, you know uh, th that type of um, coverage. Sometimes the community docs may not um, see as much of that, so they may um, refer to somebody who has a higher volume of uh, hip types of issues, okay. just depending on the exact nature of the problem. 
Interesting. Thanks a lot for your call, Art. We do appreciate it. Got a couple of minutes left here on Healthline 3. And again, we are talking with Dr. Jason Kinkarts from the Orthopedic Clinic with Willis-Knighton Health System. One thing, too, I, I don't want to let you go. I'm a former baseball player. It is baseball season for the parents that may be watching at home. Can you break down some things? Uh, we've heard so many things before about when it comes to coaching, what your kids should be doing, shouldn't be doing. But what can parents do? Maybe a simple thing, whether it's the ice or whatever you recommend here. That's what I'm asking is mm -hmm. what can we do to save their arms right. as they grow up? Yep, another great question. So number one, we want to make sure we're preparing for the season before it starts. If we're picking up the dumbbells and getting conditioning right when, right when um, training starts, then you know, we, we may be a little bit behind. We want to make sure we stay conditioned during the year. Now, we don't want to be, uh, we, we try not to be the year-long athlete if possible, especially if it's the same sport, mm -hmm. because then we have a risk for overuse injuries. And that is a really serious issue that we're seeing with the younger athletes. Wow. And so we are trying to, try to get away from that and protect kids from that by having some variety in what we're doing. So maybe we're doing some soccer, doing some, some baseball, but we don't want to stick, if we can avoid sticking with just one sport to be um, you know, uh, stressing that body, that joint. Because sure. obviously for baseball players, for pitchers, there's a tremendous strain across the shoulder. And so we really do worry about overuse injuries, um, so tendon injuries, tendonitis, um, labral injuries, the gasket in the socket. Um, and also the elbow as well. So the entire extremity really is put through tremendous strain when we're you know, um, uh, aggressively pursuing that one sport and we don't take time off. But it, if there is time off, I think that's great. But we do want to actually condition before the sport begins so that we're um, gearing up for the, the stresses across the, the arm, the body. Sure. Uh, and if it's in a, you know, a lower extremity athlete like soccer or otherwise, we want to make sure that we're getting the quads conditioned. We're working on things to get stronger, to maintain flexibility or improve our flexibility before the season starts. Um, for runners, for track athletes, the same thing. We need to be slowly progressing with what we do. If we are going to have some off season and then we get back running five miles, you know, six times a week or more, then again, we're setting ourselves up for some really um, serious things to happen, like stress fractures, yeah. again, the overuse injuries, the shin splints. So we do worry about that. So we really need to be preparing beforehand. Now, afterward, if there's issues like pain and such, then yes, we want to use the ice, we want to use compression elevation, maybe using an anti-inflammatory medication, if medically that's not contraindicated. But we really need to be um, trying to avoid the overuse. Awesome. Incredible. This has been the fastest half hour I could sit here and talk sports injuries with you all day. But if you have any questions, make sure you look up J Dr. Jason Kinkarts from the Orthopedic Clinic with Willis-Knighton Health System. So stay healthy. We appreciate you joining us today for our Health Line 3.